I want you to stand on your feet, church, as we bring on stage my friend and brother, His Grace, the Bishop elect of Calvary Life, and the senior pastor of the Standpoint Church, Dr. Phil Ransom Bello. Please bless him as he comes. and celebrate the Lord here this morning. We can do more than that. Amen. Amen. Please, you may be seated. Glory to God. I think while we're seated, we should have done that while we're standing. But let's celebrate my best friend, your pastor. The apostle, Dr. Flores Peters, and the first lady of this house, Pastor Maka, we love you. Amen. Let's say, Pflo, we love you. So, something uh, Pastor Frida, Bishop Wally's wife, said yesterday while Bishop Wally was preaching, and I, we finished preaching, she said, Pastor Flo has done a lot of work. So, I always hear all of you interject when the preacher is preaching. That's because you are already fed. And you know, there's a difference when someone who is an itinerary minister is ministering sermons. You can minister one sermon and you travel to many places with that one sermon. But it takes a lot of study and labor to go deep into the word and say the same things in different ways for the rest of the year. So let's celebrate the creativity, the blessings, the wisdom, the... Man of God, God bless you. What do we say to Pastor Peter? I mean, see. <laughs> Man of God. <laughs> so, like Bishop Wally said yesterday, I wanted to talk about forgiveness. I, he has finished it. So, he inspired on my notes, said the same things. And that's the thing. When you're preaching the gospel, we say the same things. So, one more time, let's acknowledge and celebrate the grace of God upon Pastor Peter's life. Man of God, thank you. It's my first time of meeting him personally, but we follow each other. I'm always watching him, always watching him online, and I'm so glad to be a part of your ministry. And to Bishop Wally, who is also here, this great man of God, who is a voice to this generation, Bishop Wales. <laughs> Hallelujah. Bishop Wally, we love you, we celebrate you. Let's say we celebrate you, Bishop Wally. We love you, Bishop Wally. Hallelujah. And to my beautiful wife, I'm glad that she's here with me. Amen. Bishop Dejit, very nice to see you. Please, you may be seated. We don't have much time. So, um, from the way things are going, just because we would need to go back and prepare for our evening session, I would take probably 20 minutes. I'm, I think we have heard great words today that are enough for us to run. But I would just do my bit. Amen. I want you to say with me, say, my sins are forgiven. I hope that means something to you. You know, because the forgiveness of sin, the forgiveness of sin, sins, sin, is the most powerful thing that can happen to any individual. And we see that that is wrought through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Somebody say amen. Acts chapter 13 verse 38 says, Through this man, Jesus is preached unto us the forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 13 verse 38. There were many conditions to which sins were forgiven in the Old Testament. And let me show you some. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14. You see the condition to which sins are forgiven. In the Old Testament, it says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and what? And pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. So you see the condition? You turn from your wicked ways, right? Then will I hear from heaven and will what? Forgive their sins. So forgiveness of sins was predicated on turning from your wicked ways. You had to turn. You had to turn. But there's going to be a twist in the New Testament. You see, the word just is a very key word. Uh, when you talk about the, 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 the just shall lead by faith, the fact that the believer is just in Christ, the word just begins to change meaning from the Old Testament to the New Testament. I hope you know that. When you are just in the Old Testament, it is said that you are fulfilling the details of the law. You are keeping the statutes of the law. That's what makes you just. And then when you come into the intertestamental gates, I say intertestamental gates when you're talking about what introduces the new covenant, the transition from the old to the new. You see how scripture describes the justness of a man. And who is that man? That's the man, Joseph, in the Bible. The Bible says that Joseph was called just for not putting his wife on the spot. Because according to the law, if she is pregnant before the marriage, she has to be stoned to death. But the Bible calls him just because God's intention is to change the idea of what just is. So he says he's just for not putting her out there. And then just begins to change. So it's no longer turning from wicked ways, but the just shall live by faith. So God is traveling through testaments to establish you something that is powerful enough to save you without your works. This is so key. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 7. Let me show you something there. It says, let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous his thoughts. How many of you can control what you think? Let's start from there. You know, it says, who shall ascend to the Lord? Right? He who has clean hands, he who has pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to vanity. You know what that means? See, can you control how you think? You know, the way to heaven is impossible without Christ. Yes. But the answer is in that scripture. The answer is in that scripture. It says, but their righteousness is of me. Their righteousness is of me. Their righteousness is of me. So God knows that I am going to establish righteousness by Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. So he says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him and to our God for he will what? Abundantly pardon. Somebody say amen. amen. Now look at Psalms chapter 130 verse 4. Pastor Peter read the scripture while he was teaching. 
But I want to sh I want to show you who forgiveness is with. Forgiveness is not is not a response to your being sorry. Forgiveness is not a response to tears. You understand what I'm saying? So look at it. It says Psalms chapter 130. That tongue is is energizing. Amen. Pastor Flo keeps speaking that tongue. <laughs> now let's read it together. One to go. But there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. Why you fear God is because there is forgiveness with him. So we now establish who forgiveness is with. Is somebody here? So when, when people fall and make a mistake, you didn't sin against the devil. They sinned against God. And it is with God forgiveness is with. Are you getting what I'm saying? So you have no, Satan is out of the picture. He's not our business. That's why the believer must never be, be soaked in guilt. No, no, no. Your teaching, your understanding of the scripture, teaching and understanding of the scripture should bring you to that place where you understand who you are and what you have received. So it says there is forgiveness with him that what? Thou mayest be feared. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, let me show you something. That forgiveness is given. All right? Before forgiveness is received, it is what it is given. So let me show you that. Acts chapter 5 and verse 31. Acts chapter 5 and verse 31. He says, Him hath God what exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So God is the one who gives repentance. Can we say that together? God is the one who gives repentance. You know why Bishop Wally was teaching yesterday? He said something that God is just and the Savior. All right? Now we see here that he is prince and Savior. He is just and Savior in the Old Testament because his ability to save, the fact that he's going to show mercy must be within the boundaries of his justice. You understand what I'm saying? So he's not just kind to you and he's not going to fulfill the requirement of justice. That's why something has to give. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. Yes, the wages of sin is death. It is true. Somebody died. Christ has died already. So the wages has been paid for. You understand what I'm saying? So the wages of sin is death. But a lot of people like to stop there. But we proceed. But the gift of God is eternal life. Somebody say amen. amen. So we see here that God is the one who gives forgiveness. Say, say that with me. God gives forgiveness. Oh, hallelujah. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. Let me show you that as well. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are what? Forgiving, not for your sake, but for his name's sake. In other words, God is unjust if you are not forgiven. It's an insult to what Christ has done if you don't have forgiveness of sins now. Are you still here? So let me put it this way. Including the rapist. Yes, it's reducing. <laughs> Can I say it again? I said everybody is forgiven. So what does that mean? Does that mean everybody's going to heaven? No. So where is hellfire? Hellfire is a place where forgiving people go. Who have not received the forgiveness. So being in hellfire does not cancel forgiveness. No, you are forgiven. The issue of forgiveness, it was dealt with on the cross. 
of Jesus Christ. But it is your faith in Christ that brings you, all right? It is your faith in Christ that brings you into that place where you receive what has been provided. Acts chapter 26 verse 18. Let me show you that. Acts chapter 26 verse 18. Say with me, say, my sins are forgiven. That's how you cash out. Oh. <laughs> That's how you cash out. My sins are what? Forgiven. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may what? Somebody say that they may receive the what? Forgiveness of sins. Look at Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. So how do you now receive the forgiveness of sins? Acts chapter 10 and verse 43. Acts chapter 10 verse 43. It says, to him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall what? Receive remission of sins. So it's your believing that is how you receive the forgiveness of sins. Somebody say hallelujah. You know, the issue of repentance has been very... Um, much of a confusion to people. Do we repent because our sins are forgiven? What is the balance? How do we bring repentance? Repentance is for the unbeliever and repentance is also for the believer. Do you understand what I'm saying? The meaning of repentance is to change your mind. So, that's what it is, metanoia. You guys are well taught. <laughs> oh yeah, celebrate him now. Is that how you... Hallelujah. Luke 24, Luke 24 verse 47. Let me show you that. Luke chapter 24 and verse 47. It says, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among where? All nations. So repentance and what? Or the forgiveness of sins should be preached. Now, repentance is when you hear the gospel. Let me show you how Jesus defined what repentance is. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 to 15. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14 and 15. It says, Now, after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, next verse, and saying, now let's read this together, one, two, go. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. So it means change your mind and then believe the gospel. That's what repentance is. So repentance is changing your mind to believe in the gospel. There was a man who preached, you know, Apollos in the Bible, he preached the repentance of, or the baptism of John. You know Apollos in Acts chapter 19. And when, you know, they were asking, what, what baptism is this? And he said it is the baptism of John. John's baptism was a means to an end, not the end. Because at the time John was preaching, Christ had not yet died. So to what was he calling people to repent? And how? So it was a repentance of people to turn their, their, their wicked ways to God. But how? So but now we repent by believing in the gospel. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9 to 10. If you have the living Bible, let me, let me see that. 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter 7 verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 9. He says, Now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurts you, but because the pain turned you to God. It was a good kind of sorrow you felt, the kind of sorrow God wants his people to have. Mm -hmm. So this is where you see the Bible says, Godly sorrow 
leads to repentance. All right, so I was talking about repentance. Do we, I think it's not right when people feel I've done something wrong and there is no sense of remorse. That's not what the forgiveness of sin is teaching us. No, we should be sorry about what we've done, but your repentance is not what is leading to forgiveness. No, your repentance does not lead to the provision of forgiveness. Your repentance, all right, let me show you, let's keep reading. The kind of sorrow God wants his people to have so that I need not come to you with harshness. Next verse. For God sometimes uses sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek eternal life. We should never regret his sending it. But the sorrow of the man who is not a Christian is not the sorrow of true repentance and does not prevent eternal death. So when the unbeliever is having guilt and he's in sorrow, his heart, his heart is hardened against difficult truth. So he's not able to stand truth. And that kind of, that's why, you know, when the Bible says that when the Spirit of God will come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit can never convict the believer of sin. The Holy Spirit will only say what Jesus is saying. But the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin. And Satan is in perpetual conviction of judgment. He knows where he's going. Are you still here? So, godly sorrow leads to repentance, not to the provision of forgiveness. So, you saying, Lord, I'm sorry for what I've done, there's nothing wrong with that. Are you listening to what I'm saying? There's nothing wrong with that. But that's your being sorry does not make God forgive you. Forgiveness was already done. But because of your understanding of who you are in Christ, these things do not befit you. He says, let these things not be named amongst you as becometh saints. So the scripture is not saying, let these things not be named amongst you so that you can be called a saint. You're already a saint regardless of how and how. Can I say something to you? God trusts your, he trusts his eternal security plan with you. What do I mean to say? I mean, it's just like if you buy something from Samsung, they give you a one-year warranty. Abby, what they are saying to you is that I am sure that in one year, nothing is going to happen to my product. If Samsung can do that, how much more God? God has given us eternal warranty. Pastor, how are you saying that God can forgive me past, present, future? It's because God trusts the new creation. It cannot be damaged. The highest level of creation is the new creation, not the stars and the moon. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? No, 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 no. It's the new creation. If any man is in Christ, he's what? A new creation. The Bible says that God has loved you and accepted you. He chose you before the foundation of the world. I thought about it. Before the foundation of the world. What does that mean? Before the foundation of the world. It means before time began. So God chose you in eternity. So if God chooses in eternity, there are no words like when in eternity. So the question is, if God always existed, when did he choose you? That means that you have always existed in the mind of God. If he chose you before the world began, before the foundations of the world, it means that, you, you see, you are a major part of God's plan. Because time is a sandwich in between two eternities. Eternity past, eternity future. And many of us are looking at 50 years, 70 years, 90 years. This is a 
tip of the iceberg of what your existence in Christ really is. So that's the reason why the things you celebrate, like Pastor Peter said, are things that are beneficial of your identity in Christ, like your forgiveness of sins. So what guides your prayer? From your prayer point, I can tell your maturity. Do you understand what I'm saying? From your prayer point, I can tell where you are in the spirit. That's why if you see the Pauline prayers, he prayed so that the revelation of the gospel presses deep in their spirit. These people studied the Bible by teaching and hearing the word of God. Just like Paul said, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, all right? By study and by being taught, just like you're being taught in this house, the word of God is dwelling richly in you. But it's also important to pray so that when you pray, the gospel becomes a reality so that what you are taught begins to be a fruit. So Paul prays that your eyes are open, the eyes of your understanding are enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what is the riches of the glory of the inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that is at work in you. Hallelujah. Say with me, say my sins are forgiven. When Satan hears these things, he trembles because he knows he has nothing against the believer. You know, Bishop Wally told us yesterday about the sitting, the sitting witness, <laughs> standing witness, <laughs> or standing trial and sitting trial. Oh, that's powerful. Hallelujah. This is so good. Jesus is our guy. Do you know that? Everything in the Old Testament that was rehearsed and practiced as a symbol, as a shadow, was speaking about Jesus. Everything. If you look at the feasts, if you look at the feast of Israel, even the feast that they celebrated, they celebrated the Passover. Jesus is our Passover. And you know, the funny thing is, when Jesus died, he died during the period of the feasts. So the, that's why it was in the period of the Passover that he was talking to his disciples, giving them final words. So in that Passover, you know the history of the Passover. When I see the blood, I will pass over. And you know, the, it doesn't matter who is behind the blood. As long as you are behind the blood, it's not your performance. The angel of death is passing. He doesn't analyze the works and the performance of those behind the doors. No, 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 no. The angel of death is just going, looking for blood. If I see blood, I let you. If I don't see blood, I come in. So if that was the Old Testament, how can the New Testament be anything less than better? Oh, hallelujah. In whom we have redemption. Through his blood and the forgiveness of sins. I have redemption in Christ. That Passover, Jesus is our Passover now. Somebody say hallelujah. And in, in, even in that phase, there's also what they call the unleavened bread that they celebrated. You know, Israel was celebrating the unleavened bread. The history of the unleavened bread is that when, when they were getting out of Egypt, they were too in a hurry to put yeast in the bread. So God now said, make it an institution that every time you celebrate the unleavened bread, don't put yeast in it. So that it reminds you of how quickly deliverance came and you were so much in a hurry to get out. So that's the history behind unleavened bread. Christ is our unleavened bread. You don't understand what I'm saying? What is the meaning of living? Living in the scripture mostly speaks of sin. Because if you put yeast in something, it contaminates it. Alright? So it also speaks of help. Because it helps the, the dough. The dough to rise. 
So I can look at it that way. Yeast speaks of sin. And it says, oh, Christ is my own living bread. It means that Christ is without sin. His life, the Bible says he was tempted at all points, but yet without sin. The credence of his death is because he lived a sinless life. That's why his death means a lot to us. It means everything to us. So Jesus is our unliving bread. And it means that he had no sin. But he could not be helped as well. In that period while he was about to die, he could not be helped. There was a guy who, Peter, you all know Peter. Peter is the very bold, the courageous guy. Who even when uh, the, the soldiers came and they wanted to take Jesus and he said, I am he. Peter, Allah you, Abi. Did I pronounce it right? <laughs> I tried. I mean, he took a knife and then he sliced the ear off. And Jesus said, it's not this way. He puts it back. Because at that point, I can't be helped. Unliving bread is playing out there. See, they were celebrating the feast, but somebody was living the reality. At this point, I cannot be helped. Pilate called Jesus. John chapter 19 verse 10. Pilate called Jesus. He said, talk to me. I have the power to free you. But Jesus said to Pilate, he says, nobody can have power except is given to you from above. Meaning that in this period of this clock that we're in now, I as the unliving bread, I cannot be helped. So Pilate could not help Jesus. Nobody could help Jesus. Even he could not help Jesus. When he tried to pray, Father, it's possible, let this cup pass over, but not my will, your will be done. His prayer rather aligned him to the, to the will. Even God cannot help him. So that's why you hear words like this in 1 Peter 2 verse 24. It says, he himself. That he himself is a key part. Because he cannot be helped. He himself took our infirmity. Somebody say hallelujah. He himself took our infirmity. Because he cannot, he must carry it. Your sin is not your work to carry. It is his work to carry. So he cannot be helped. Then the other feast, I think one of the his uh, feasts that they celebrated on living bread, they celebrated also the feast of first fruits. And Jesus is our first fruit. You know the meaning of first fruit? First fruit is first born from the dead. You know there's a difference between uh, brought back to life and life from death. Lazarus was brought back to life. But Jesus' type is that life came out of death. It's not the same. A new thing that has never happened before. That's why, because Jesus is not the first to be resurrected. There were other people in the Old Testament who came out from death to life. But why is his only first type? Because it is life from death. So he's called the prototokos. He's called the firstborn. Say him who he found you, he predestinated that we might be conformed to the image of his dear son. He's going to be the firstborn amongst many brethren. And what is the first fruit? The first fruit is the one who, it's just like when you make Mercedes, for example, you take a prototype. You take a prototype. What do you do? You bash it. You turn it upside down. You stress it so that everything that comes out of that is the same. Let me tell you something. You are hell tested. 
You are hell tested. You know microwave? There's a kind of plate that survives microwave. If you put any other thing there, there is there's problem. <laughs> so it has to be it has to be the ray, it has to be its ray test tested for it to survive the rays of the microwave. So when the Bible says that you are, you know, look at first fruit. The woman who saw Jesus, right? Why Jesus was, was was resurrected. She saw him. She said, "Who are taking my Lord, Mary Magdalene?" And Scripture says that she thought he was a gardener. Why do you think she thought he was a gardener? What do you do with first fruit? Are you not sowing seeds with first fruit? The period was playing out because they were celebrating first fruit, but he was playing the thing out. Now it's not time for shadows. It's time for the substance. So she looked, she appeared to him like a gardener. Because Jesus was actually, first fruit is like one of the first, one of the three major harvests that they celebrated. They celebrated the Pentecost. It was like the second harvest. First fruit. They celebrated first fruit as harvest. So Jesus was taking himself as the prototokos to the Father. He said, don't touch me. Jesus who is compassionate is saying, don't touch me. You know, Jesus wants to touch you before you even touch him. And when he touches you, he doesn't get contaminated. But at that point, she wants to touch him and he says, don't touch him because the time, the clock has changed. Clock has moved. Clock. You know, God is working with an eternal program. Passover. Then he moves to unleavened bread. And then first fruits is playing out. God is, and everything the Israelites were celebrating, he was trying to communicate to them that when the Messiah comes, he will play out your traditions. So, he says, don't touch me, for I go to my God and your God and my Father.